the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 888-884-4836. 888-884-4836 is the phone number. Make your gift today at letstalkfaith.com and let's work together with Save the Children. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to learn that giving that is characterized by virtue and integrity will always have the following marks. Number one, the first mark of virtuous giving or giving that's that's marked by integrity is this. You will, number one, you will have the desire to give. You will desire to give. It will come willingly from your heart. Giving with integrity. We usually think of integrity in terms of receiving money, but it's just as important that we give virtuously. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve continues our series of lessons on generosity from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So let's follow in our Bibles, if we're able, as we pick up with verse 10. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're continuing our study in this wonderful book, and I want to just read to you a few verses, and then we will introduce it and and study it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, breaking in at verse 10, Paul says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to desire to do this, and that this means the collection for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem, not only to desire to do this, but or not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Towards the end of his life, the apostle Peter not talking about Paul now, but Peter, was very concerned about something taking place in the various churches. He observed that there were many false teachers who had come into the churches, and they were teaching destructive heresies. And destructive heresies are not things that you and I might disagree on, which would be in the realm of orthodoxy, but they were actually denying the person and the work of Christ. They were denying that salvation was by grace through faith alone. Those are destructive heresies. And so Peter penned a letter known as Second Peter because it was his second letter that specifically exposed, exposed and described the true nature of false teachers. It just really revealed to the true believers what these false teachers were really like underneath the, the guise of being spiritual, what they were really like. And, and the reason Peter did this is because he wanted believers to know who these men are and to avoid them. And one of the distinguishing marks of a false teacher that Peter points out is that they are greedy. They are greedy for money. He said in 2 Peter 2, 3, he said, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
In other words, the underlying motivation of a false teacher is to take advantage of his followers by financially exploiting them, by taking advantage of them in an economic sense. You see, false teachers are like mercenaries. They, they do what they do for money. They peddle their lives to, to make money off of people. They want to profit by what they do. In fact, Peter says not only are they greedy, but they are actually experts in greed. They're experts. He says that. That in Second um, Peter 2.14, he states, they have hearts trained in greed. That word trained is related to our word gymnasium. And what Peter means by this, when he says that they are trained in greed, it's as if he is saying that they develop their greedy skills just like an athlete works at developing athletic skills. He would go to the gym to work out. So they work it out. False teachers are very adept at getting you to give them that your hard-earned money. And they do this by a host of highly developed skills and techniques, such as emotional appeals, appeals that really tug at your heart, appeals that make you feel bad, uh, heart-wrenching stories, usually involving needy children, because who would, who would possibly turn down a child? Stuff like that. Guilt, pressure. Uh, they even use spiritual intimidation and condemnation to get money. For example, Robert Tilton used the technique of condemnation when he told his audience this, and I quote, not only is worrying a sin, but being poor, he said, is a sin when God promises prosperity. So according to, to this thinking, not only do people have the burden of being poor, and you might worry about money, but if you are poor, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your sin, he says, because God wants you to be prosperous, but you've missed the boat. So on top of the struggles of not having much, now you have somebody pouring guilt on you, telling you that you're in sin. Well, if, if it is true that greed motivates a false teacher, and that's what Peter says, then it only makes sense that the content of much of their preaching would have to do with material prosperity. And that is what what most talk about, if you go through the list and watch televangelists who mostly are really false teachers because they do not preach salvation through Christ, and uh, if, you, if you listen to them, most of what, or at least much of what they're talking about at any time you tune in is about money. It's about money. And the reason they put so much emphasis on money and prosperity, quite frankly, is because they want your money. They want to be prosperous. That's why they do this. Driven by greed, they distort the word of God in order to justify and sanctify their lust for money. For example, Kenneth Hagin said that God, and I quote, wants his children to eat the best. He wants them to wear the best clothing. He wants them to drive the best cars, and he wants them to have the best of everything. Now, can I translate this for you? Translated, it means that Kenneth Hagin wants to eat the best wear the best clothing and drive the best cars. And if you will just send them enough of your money, he'll do it. That's what that means. Fred Price has stated that God doesn't expect us to serve him for free. He said, and I quote again, most employers at least have enough common decency about them that they don't ask somebody to work for them for free. If a man has enough nicety about him to do that, can't you at least believe that the father is not asking you to serve him for free either? Let me translate that again. Translated, it means that you should send your money to Fred Price so that Fred Price won't have to serve the Lord for free. That's exactly what this stuff means. How different was the Apostle Paul? Paul 
in contrast to the greed of false teachers, was a man of financial integrity, not only in his own personal life and what he taught, but Paul never took advantage of anyone economically. In fact, just the opposite is the case. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is talking to the uh, church, the elders, the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and in his concluding uh, message to them, which he is essentially telling them that he's leaving and that they need to carry on the work and shepherd the flock and, and all of this, he says to them in verse 33, and listen to these words in contrast to what we have just heard. Paul said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. I don't want your money, he said. It's never been an issue for me. I didn't do this to get anything from you. In fact, he said, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Paul was a tent maker. Paul did not take money from the churches. At least he didn't ask for them, for them to give. Some of them gave, but he didn't ask for it. Paul worked, he said, hard with his own hands, not only to support himself, but to support those who worked with him. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't ask anything from you. I didn't covet your money. In fact, I worked hard to give to people. I didn't ask anything. He goes on to say, in everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How different Paul was. Paul said, I didn't take anything from you. I didn't covet anything from you. In fact, just the opposite is the case. I worked to set an example for you to give to others. That is so different than what we have just read, what what Peter said and what is reality in terms of false teachers. So as far as his uh, his attitude, Paul was just the opposite. He supported the poor. He didn't take from them. And as far as his own finances were concerned, Paul was personally, he was quite poor. Paul didn't have anything. He said in 2 Corinthians 6.10, which we studied months ago, he said, speaking of himself as poor, yet making many rich. Paul said, personally, I I don't have much. I would be considered a poor person. But in my ministry, he said, I'm making others spiritually rich. As having nothing, Paul said, I really have nothing. Whatever I make, I, I give out. I just take care of my bare necessities. As having nothing, he said, yet possessing all things. Spiritually, Paul had it all, just as we do in Christ. But materially, he had nothing. And in contrast to Fred Price, Paul did serve the Lord for free. He didn't charge. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 18, what then is my reward that when I preach the gospel, listen to this, I may offer the gospel without charge. Without charge. Paul never charged anyone. Paul did serve the Father for free. If they, if people wanted to give, that was fine. Wasn't going to turn it away, but he didn't charge. In spite of the fact that Paul went out of his way, though, to to live and teach about financial integrity, it is amazing that there were some who actually accused the apostle of lusting after money. And the place that he encountered most of these charges and accusations uh, was in 2 Corinthians. In fact, if you look back at chapter 4, Paul mentions this. It, It is amazing, it is ludicrous, it is absurd, but it is reality that some specifically false teachers, said that Paul was in it for the dollar or the shekel back then, whatever. 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul speaking of himself, he says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Paul said, there's nothing in my life that I'm, that I'm hiding. What you see in public is what it is in private. 
And then he said specifically, and this must have been a charge against him, not walking in craftiness. The thought here is, is financial trickery and deception. That's what they accuse Paul of. And what he means by this, as we put Scripture together with Scripture, in, in chapter 12 of this letter, and we've talked about this before, uh, Paul seems to clarify what the charge was specifically, and, and it's this. Notice verse 14 of chapter 12. For this third time he writes, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. It means I won't be a financial burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He said, I don't, I don't want your money. I want your heart. I want your, your life dedicated to Christ. For I will most gladly spend to be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Now, he said, I, I want you to understand when I was with you, the other times I didn't burden you, I'm not about to burden you. And then he begins to be sarcastic. There's a little statement of sarcasm. And he says, nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. What he's saying is, I have never burdened you. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. You think I, I have. You think I'm a crafty guy who's figured this all out and that I've tricked you. Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's what you think about me. And what was it that they specifically thought? Verse 17, certainly I did not take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you, have I? Now, what he means by this is that Paul was accused of sending his missionary uh, colleagues, his associates, back to Corinth to pick up money that had been collected already. Now, they didn't finish it, but they collected some for the poor believers in Jerusalem so that they'd bring it to Paul and Paul could take some out of the offering plate for his own personal needs. That's what they were accusing him of. In other words, they charged him with being a crafty thief who had tricked the church into giving him the money that he said was being collected for the saints of Jerusalem. That's precisely what it appears to be they had accused him of. But you know what? Paul wasn't like that at all. His entire ministry was characterized by financial integrity. And so it is not surprising that when Paul teaches about the subject of money, he made sure that he instructed others to give with integrity as well. And that is precisely what 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is dealing with. In the verses that we read before, and it continues really, I think, to the end of the chapter. Chapter 8, along with chapter 9 in this book, these two chapters offer the most extensive teaching anywhere offered by Paul on the subject of giving. And his purpose, as we've stated many times before, was to stimulate the church at Corinth to restart the weekly collecting of money for the poor believers in Jerusalem. They had been hit very hard in Jerusalem by persecution and by uh, ostr uh, being ostracized by their families and, and all that, and they were very poor. And so Paul wants churches around the Roman Empire to give to these believers. He wants them to give generously. He wants them to be motivated by love as they follow ultimately the example of Jesus Christ, which is what we looked at last week. In verse 9, he gives the supreme model for all giving. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be gracious like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. It means that he being in the form of God became a man. He gave it all up to become, not giving up being God, but giving up being in the form of God to be a man. That's what he means by poor, so that you, we who are spiritually bankrupt through his poverty, might become rich, meaning that Jesus Christ died for our sins 
And when we come to faith in Christ, we are given all the riches of glory. And a down payment is the Holy Spirit, the assurance that there's more to come and you will ultimately enjoy your spiritual riches. So that's what Paul has been teaching. Now, having established that, that the Corinthians need to give and give generously, in the verses before us this morning, Paul lays down, and this is so important for us, several principles concerning the fact that our giving should be characterized by integrity. Paul doesn't just want you to give. God doesn't just want you to give. He wants you to give in a virtuous way, in an ethical way. And that's very unique to our age. He wants us to give in the right ethical manner. You see, these are these principles are so important for us because they will help you to evaluate all fundraising campaigns and fundraising appeals, which in this day and age, if you are a Christian, uh, you're going to hear about that stuff. You hear it at the local church le- level. You get letters in the mail, parachurch organizations, mission groups, mission agencies, charities. Everybody wants your money. So you have to know, how do I evaluate this? How do I know I'm not being taken advantage of? How do I know that when I give, I'm not being exploited? You need to understand these principles because we can be very vulnerable out there. And 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 uh, as I told you, uh, it's it's not just false teachers that uh, that are skilled at asking for your money. There are legitimate spiritual leaders who know just how to pull at your heartstrings. And we want to make sure that we are not vulnerable to those who would exploit us financially. So these are truths that we're about to study that will help you to discern. What is ethical and what is unethical in fundraising appeals? It's helpful for us as a church body to understand this. It's helpful for your leaders to hear these truths and to make sure that we are marked by integrity. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to learn that giving that is characterized by virtue and integrity will always have the following marks. So let's begin to get into this, and I hope that you you have a page to write notes on. This would be helpful. Number one, the first mark of virtuous giving or giving that's, that's marked by integrity is this. You will, number one, you will have the desire to give. You will desire to give. It will come willingly from your heart. Paul says in verse 10, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also, watch this, to desire to do this. As Paul continues to tell the Corinthians about the importance of giving to those in Jerusalem, he wants to make sure that he is not giving them an order. This is not a command. He said that in verse 8. I'm not speaking this by way of command. This is his opinion. Now, it's an inspired opinion. It's an inspired opinion, but it is an opinion. And Paul, we should take heed to his opinion because this is good advice. He said, it's my opinion My spiritual opinion that you should, as he says in verse 10, you who began this work should continue it. Why? He says, let's read it in context. For this is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago. In other words, it would be best for you Corinthians to continue taking these offerings in order to finish what you started last year. In my opinion, this would be good. In fact, it would be good Uh, in the sense of it would be advantageous for you. So we know that sometime during the previous year, the Corinthians had begun taking these weekly offerings. Paul's told them to do that in 1 Corinthians 16. But then, for some reason, they stopped doing it, probably because of the influence of the false teachers, uh, internal problems. For whatever reasons, it stopped. It, It is stalled. And Paul says, I want you to restart it because it would be to your advantage. Now, how would it be to their advantage? Why would it be beneficial? 
he probably means that God promises to meet the needs of those who actually give generously, who continue doing this, not who start it and then stop it, not those who just have intentions to do it, not only those who have a desire to give, but those who actually do it. And the Corinthians really, uh, they may have initiated it, but pretty much it was just limited to desire, desire. Notice, look at verse 10 again. I'm going to emphasize the last phrase. I give my opinion in this matter, just my opinion, for this is to your advantage. It's beneficial for you to do what? To start it up again. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, yes, you started it, but watch this, but also to desire to do it. That's a tremendous phrase, to desire to do this, because what he's telling us is that when the Corinthians first heard about the need in Jerusalem, that there were poor people there, poor believers, they desired to give. They, they had it in their hearts to give, and they had willing hearts to contribute to the needs. And Paul is simply reminding them that no one forced you, no one put pressure upon you, you wanted to give. It came from your own willingness. And folks, that's what characterizes all giving that is virtuous and honors the Lord. You should never give because someone someone put pressure on you. You feel forced. You feel like you have to save face. They, they wrote you a letter that you don't know how to get out of. You're embarrassed if you don't give. That, that should never be why you give. Those who give generously should only do so because they desire to give generously. It's something they have in their hearts to, to do, and, and they're not giving reluctantly. And that is exactly what uh, Paul says in chapter 9, verse 7. We've looked at this before, but you know what? We're, uh, I know as a pastor, I'm not coming this way again, I don't think, in my lifetime. I want to make sure we're very, uh, I'm very thorough on this, and so we'll reiterate these things. Verse 7, each one must do just as he what? Purposed in his heart, whatever you desire to do in your heart not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give because somebody is coercing you to give. Give because you want to give. That's virtuous giving. A willing heart is the key. I was reading this week how when King David uh, was talking about the temple being built, of course, his, his son Solomon would, would be the beneficiary of that. God would not allow David to build the temple, though it was in his heart to do that. But when David was collecting uh, resources for it, the Bible says that the people willingly gave. They, they willingly, they had a willing heart to give. And they gave a lot. And David personally gave a fortune for it. Of course, David owned a fortune. But he gave. And the people did. They had willing hearts. That's First Chronicles 29. See, one of the ways to determine if a financial campaign is marked by integrity is to evaluate if people are encouraged by the leadership to give voluntarily out of a desire in their hearts to give, or if they are intimidated to give, giving out of guilt or some high-pressured approach. There are some pastors who so browbeat their people into giving that uh, if they don't give what he thinks they should give, He's going to do such things. He's going to scold them. He's going to send the offering plate around three times. He's going to um, shame them. He's even going to threaten them. Mark Twain, who was not by any stretch of thinking a Christian, but was a humorist, Mark Twain said once that he was so sickened by long appeals for money that not only didn't he give what he planned to give, but Mark Twain said he actually took some money out of the offering plate. Now, there's a thought. 
It's not a good thought. It's a funny thought. I wouldn't recommend that. But let me state the principle of verse 10 as as clearly as I can. All virtuous giving, godly giving, starts with a desire to give. Why? Why? Why is that where it begins? Because God is the one who puts the desire on your heart. God is the one who does that. So that when you say yes to a fundraising appeal, you have the assurance that you're giving what God wants you to give. Not only where you should give, but what you should give. God is the one who leads us by desires. And we know that because scripture speaks about it. He gives you the desire of your heart and he puts those desires there. Now, if it's contrary to the word of God, then God's not giving you that desire. But you hear about something, it makes sense to you, God has given you wisdom, you go, yes, that's that's what I want to do. But that's where it begins. You want to do it, you don't feel like you have to do it. If you feel like you have to do it, then don't do it. Don't do it then. In other words, do what the Lord is moving you to do. And don't do what he's not moving you to do, especially when people pressure you. There's plenty more to discuss in this passage, but we're out of time. I hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff concludes this message in our series from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about generous giving. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Learn more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. One philosopher has said that a single kind deed is worth more than a thousand good intentions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.